Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture this morning comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which has preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. God is good all the time. I want to welcome our visitors. I know we have many who are here for Mother's, uh, Mother's Day, and we're glad to have you. Uh, also want to say congratulations to any of our Murray State graduates. I know a few walked yesterday in that procession. If you would take a moment, let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, we... Thank you for this day that you've given us, this beautiful Lord's Day, to assemble, to worship you. We thank you for loving us, for saving us from our sins. Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in word, in thought, in deed, by what we've done and by what we've left undone. So we pray that you would forgive us each our trespasses and cleanse us and help us to be gracious towards one another, forgiving one another as you have forgiven us. Father, on this Mother's Day, I realize that it's a difficult day for many. And it's a difficult day for many reasons. Some, it's because they've recently lost their mother. Some, it's because they have yet to become a mother and are trying. Others, it may be that they've had the horrible misfortune as a mother to have to bury a child. There are a multitude of reasons that this day is hard for many. And so for those who find it difficult, I pray, Lord, that you'll give them that peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that you'll give them your comfort and mercy on this day. Father, for those of us who have been so blessed, we thank you and pray that we would be mindful of those who are suffering, that we would love them where they are, and that we would be an encouragement as best we can. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I saw, Stephanie and I watched a movie recently. It's called The Jesus Revolution. And it takes place based on a true story that occurs out in California. You've got a preacher of a small church. His name is Chuck. And Chuck's church is sort of dwindling. And this is during the time when, you know, the hippies are a big thing. And, you know, all that went with that. I I, I wasn't around then. Some of you would know better than I Uh, But, you know, Chuck is very much coat-tie, conservative kind of guy, and his church is that way too, but they're very small. And his daughter, Chuck's daughter, she's becoming a little liberal, too much, so much more than what he would care for her to be. So they're having this conversation, really it's an argument, and, you know, he's really deriding the hippie culture, and she says, Dad, if you would just talk to one of them, you might learn something. He said, all right, well, you bring me one and I'll talk to him. Well, one day his daughter is on her way home and she's going around this way and there's a, there's a, he's a hippie. He's walking up this road 
But she notices as she gets close to him that on the back of his vest is a cross and supposedly the face of Jesus and a rainbow. And she gets right past him, so she stops and she backs up. And she says, do you need a ride? And of course, he's got the long beard and the long hair. And he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, just very hippie-ish. I can't do it. But anyway, so he gets in the car and she takes him home. Chuck gets home from work that day and he walks in and he sees this stranger in his house. And he says, who are you? And he's like, hey, I'm Lonnie. And so they meet. He's like, what? And then the daughter comes out and who is this? You know, and the daughter said, well, this is Lonnie, blah, blah, blah. Lonnie, would you mind if I have a moment to talk with my daughter? And he, he sticks the guy outside the front door and shuts the front door. And he goes back to his daughter. He says, why did you bring him here? She said, well, dad, you said if I brought a hippie around that you would talk to him. He said, I said it, but I certainly did not mean it. And <laughs> I got a biggest chuckle out of that. So she said, just listen to him. So they sit down at the, at the dining table and they're drinking tea or coffee or whatnot. And Lonnie is telling his story. And his story was that he went into the hippie culture because of peace and love, everything that they were saying. He said, but the way they were trying to find it was through psychedelics, through drugs, through various other substances and parties and things. And he said, I, I always walked away just feeling empty. I was full for the moment, but then I would go away empty. And he said, but then I found Jesus. And he said, everything that I've tried to find, every area that I've tried to put in my life, in my body, to have that fulfillment, it was fleeting. But when I found Jesus, then I found the real thing, everything that we had been looking for. And I thought, you know, even Christians, this, this is an, uh, a thing that we deal with. Someone once described it as we have a God-shaped hole in our heart and we're trying to fill it. Sometimes we fill it with things such as what Lonnie did. Sometimes it may be substances. Sometimes it may be hobbies or it may be people or it may be a culture, an environment. But let me ask you the question, are you fulfilled in that? And if you are, Ah, something really to think about, but I think most of us would say, you know, everything that we do on this earth that we chase after, that we seek, it, it doesn't last. There was a, a, a graduate or a, no, it was a soldier who was given an award and they said, you know, I won this award. It was great. And you have the ceremony where they, where they give that to you and you're acknowledged for that period of time but it was all of about five minutes and then it was gone. But he said, for that five minutes, I felt special. For that five minutes, I felt like I had achieved something. I had reached the pinnacle. But at the end of that five minutes, everyone went their own way and that was it. It's as if it never happened, as if it were meaningless. So what do you try to put into your life to feel what you're really longing for? I mean, Someone could argue that for me, it's animals, right? We have goats, ducks, geese, chickens, dogs, a cat, a lot of squirrels that aren't ours, and I wish they'd go away and quit eating out of my bird feeder. If anyone has a secret how to keep squirrels from eating out of your bird feeder, see me after. But, you know, you do find a sense of happiness in things, and there's nothing wrong with that, but when you try to take that and make that fit 
where God is meant to be, you're going to find yourself coming up empty at every turn. And C.S. Lewis has a, a, a saying in his book, Mere Christianity. I've said it to you probably more times than you'd ever care to hear it. But he said, if I find in myself a desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, it only means that I have been made for another world. That's pretty deep. Paul, somewhat to Lonnie, is having to consider the source. For Lonnie, the source was drugs, psychedelics, hippie culture, but it didn't fill the gap. For Paul and the Galatians, there's a source that needs to be considered, and Paul's going to show them he's not that source. But the gospel that he has been given from Jesus Christ, that is the source. So, if your Bible's open to Galatians chapter 1, let's look at a few things. Now, I want to show you this, first of all. Uh, Galatia is this big area, uh, it, it, you know, the Teal area, just by way of reminder. We're not talking about a city. We are talking about a huge, vast area. And you know what? I realize I just made a mistake. I put the wrong, this was last week's PowerPoint. So we'll just kill that one. I, for, I probably forgot to put it in the, the, the folder. All right, let's look at verses 11 through 14. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in, Juda in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my counterparts, uh, contemporaries rather, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So the point that Paul makes first off, he said, look, look at how I used to live, all right? If you look at my life before the cross, I was actually a persecutor of the church. I thought I was doing God's will because I thought this is what God wanted. He said, but then, and we have this on good authority from the book of Acts, he has this vision, even though it's a blindness because he's on the, the road to Damascus and this bright light shone and all of a sudden he's blind and a voice speaks to him and he says, who is it, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so then some time goes by and Paul is converted. And so he's making the point. He said, look, this really is the real thing. If not, I would still be doing what I'd always been doing. And so this is what he's pointing out. The gospel that I, the good news that I tell you, I have not invented it. I have not plagiarized it. I've received it from Jesus Christ himself. Buster Benson wrote, a mind is more like a pile of millions of little rocks than a single big boulder. To change a mind, we have to carry thousands of little rocks from one pile to another, one at a time. This is because our brains don't know how to rewire a full belief in one big hall. New neuron paths aren't created that quickly. You might be able to get a tiny percent of someone's mind to rewire to a new belief in a given conversation, but minds change slowly and in unpredictable ways. Paul points out in verses 15 and 16 that his mind was changed, but it wasn't gradually. It was through a shocking series of events. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. 
So the first point from the previous verses, 11 through 14, Paul's message was not from humans, but from Jesus. And he goes and explains this. Now, this is an interesting passage, and I want to draw a little bit of an application for all of us. But it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Paul said, God had a plan for me before I was even brought into this earth. God had a plan for me, and he knew this is what he wanted of me. God had a plan for me. Let me ask you, moms and dads, how often do you pray for your children for God to show them their path? Or do you pray that for yourself even? Right? We go through the, the stages of life, right? You birth, you're a kid, everybody loves you, they dote on you, you get all these presents and some spoil you and then you get to a part to where, okay, you're in school, that's going to last an eternity. 13 years you're going to spend in school. Then after that, If you decide to go on to school, you'll keep going or you'll enter a trade or you'll find a job and then you'll get into that. And then you go, well, at some point I'm going to date somebody and at some point maybe I'll marry that somebody and at some point we'll we'll build a home together. Maybe you want children, maybe you don't. Then you, you keep going through those motions and you go, well, one of these days I'm going to retire so I might need to start putting some money back for that. And so everybody has the same blueprint to life. But what gives meaning to that blueprint is when you realize that God has a plan. Paul knew that God had a plan for him from his mother's womb. Do you think he has one for you? We call the normal daily living the rat race. Do you really think that's what it is? Can you find God's purpose? Let let me help you a little bit. Teachers are the easiest to begin with. Uh, And I think, teachers, you may forget this from time to time, but for some of those children, you are the only kind face that they will see that day. You are the only source of encouragement and hope that they will have because not all children go back to loving homes. Can't you consider that a service to God by serving those children? And if you work in any industry where you deal with the public whatsoever, you have the opportunity to let your light shine. And maybe, just maybe, who knows if you're not planting seeds or watering seeds that are already planted. Don't ever underestimate where you are and what you might be able to do for God. Even if you're eating at a restaurant, be nice to your waiters and waitresses. And you know what? One thing that you could do, Keith Parker, I heard him say this years ago. He said, you know, I always ask my waiter or waitress, I'll say, you know, we're going to pray and offer thanks for the meal. Is there anything we can pray for you? And he said, there have been a lot of waiters and waitresses that a couple of them here or there will break down because they're going through something that, you know, is just difficult in life. And, and he said, I'll ask them if they want to join us in prayer and we'll pray for them, you know. So you never know how God is going to use you. Sometimes the things we see as interruptions in our life, it's God going, hey, wait a second, I need your attention right here and now, you know, except when you're in traffic and people are driving slow. I don't think that's God's plan whatsoever, but that's just me. But here's the prayer to pray. God, what do you have planned for my life? What do you have planned for my children's lives? I've told mine Ever since they were little, off and on throughout the years, I've always prayed for my children 
that they would find and be given by God a spouse that would help them grow closer to the Lord and stronger in the faith. Started that ever since they were itty-bitty. And so when John Wayne came to ask for Bree, Bree's hand in marriage, I, I told him just that. I said, John, I said, I've prayed for Bree ever since she was a little girl. And I said, I said, if you're the guy that God has sent, I will not refuse. I also wanted to add, but I will break your legs if you do. But you, right? As a father, you want to, but, but I know better because if he does wrong, Bree will break his legs. I don't have to worry about that. But Paul knew that God had a plan before he was born. Jeremiah the prophet also said something similar. But here's the thing. Paul did not always live within God's plan. He came to live within it. Your past doesn't dictate your present or your future. You can give yourself to the Lord wherever you are, whatever point in life you are, and learn what he has in mind for you. Paul believed he was living in God's will, and then when Jesus Christ came and was crucified, Paul was persecuting the church, believing he was still living in God's will when he really wasn't. But when he had faith and converted to faith in Jesus, then he began being as zealous for what God wanted in that way versus how he used to live. Now, if you look at the beginning, you can go, man, that was a rough start. But we've all seen games where it starts out rough, but then our team rallies and they make a comeback. Your life can be a comeback. It doesn't have to be stale and it doesn't have to be in the mistakes that you've made. You don't have to wallow in those things. Paul was obviously his whole life, he lived with the guilt of that. He told Timothy that he was the chief of all sinners. He could never forget what he did. But he also said, look at my life. If God can forgive me, he can forgive you. Secondly, Verses 17 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let's read that. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was, com was, not, uh, was compelled to be circumcised. We'll get to that in a second. That's a whole other story. But first he says, the message is not mine, it came from Jesus. Secondly, the message is not from the leaders of the church. It's from Jesus, right? Because he's, I, I went up and I talked to, to, to Peter, to John, all these. And you know, some of these folks that are his opponents could say, well, we've also talked to them. 
But Paul said, I went and I told them, here's what I'm preaching. Here's what the Lord gave me. Is this what you also have? And they said, yeah, that's what we preach as well. So it wasn't that particular, uh, uh, it wasn't that particular message or uh, source. He did consult with them, but he only went back because of a revelation to speak with them. Look at verse 9 in chapter 2. When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Now, Paul points out in verses 4 through 8 that his message will not be from those who are opposing him. Verse 4, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came by in stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcision also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. So the same message is being preached. But the thing is, when you're in their shoes and you have Paul who has delivered the gospel, but then you have these others who come around and say, that's only a part of it. You have to be circumcised. You have to make an offering. You have to be baptized. You have to observe the law of Moses and all of its intricacies. Then you will be a disciple of Jesus. There were a lot of voices saying that, and that's what was so confusing. I'll give you an illustration. When I was a kid at church camp one year, might have been 13, 14, we, after breakfast, we all went to our first class. And at our first class, our, our teacher put us in the back of his pickup truck and drove us down to a field. So we all got out and, and he said, okay, I want one volunteer. And of course, you know, teenage boys, nobody volunteers, right? That's what you do in elementary school. We learn, don't do it at a certain point. So he said, okay, I'm going to choose this guy. And so he put that guy in the pickup truck and he said to the rest of us, he said, now I'm going to ask him where east is, right? We all know that the sun rises in the east. So that early of the morning, all you have to do is look to where the sun is and point to where the sun is. He said, but I want all of you to point west. Okay, you see what's about to happen? So he gets out and he says, do you know your directions pretty well? He says, I do. He said, point to where east is. So he turns and he points over there and he says to the rest of us, point to east. And we're all over here pointing the opposite direction. And he looks back like, y'all no, it's the sun rises in the east. And all the rest, no, 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 it's over here. It's not, no, you got it wrong. And he hung on to his guns for a little bit, but eventually he turned and he went like that. And, and the point was made. Sometimes so many voices are saying one thing that they sway you from what you should be doing to what you shouldn't be doing. One of my mentors and teachers taught a class on Deuteronomy when I was training to be a preacher. And he highlighted from that lesson, Deuteronomy, uh, of the whole book, he called it precision obedience. God demands precision obedience of his people. 
And as we went through it, it's very compelling. And we're going, yeah, we should, as God precisely says to do something, we should do it. When God precisely says, do not do something, we shouldn't do it. It makes perfect sense. We get to a point and one of the students said, what if we can't be as precise in our obedience because of the flesh? And the teacher replied, that's what God's grace is for. Now, I stood on that for a while, and I thought, that's not right. Grace doesn't come at the end, it starts at the beginning. And our faithfulness to God throughout is our best effort at being obedient. But the way he phrased it, you have to be perfectly obedient. And I think this has caused a lot of anxiety among Christians. Because if you, if you sin in one second, you think, oh boy, I was saved, now I'm lost. And, and you have this anxiety about your, your, your foot's on a banana peel, and if you move the wrong, the wrong way, you're going to slip and fall into the pits of hell, constantly anxious. And I don't think that's what the Lord intended. Because in 1 John, he says, perfect love casts out fear. But some Christians are still living their Christianity afraid and scared that God is after them. The only way that God is after you and me is he wants to save us. If, if you would take a left in your Bible and find the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5, toward the end of the chapter. I like that sound. I can actually hear it. It's pretty, the, the pages of the Bible turning. Okay, when you get to Romans chapter 5, I want you to find verse 20. Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So here's the point. You cannot outsin the grace of God. But that's not all the point that needs to be made. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Right? Because if you, if you make the, the, the statement of chapter 5, verse 20... You know, where my sin abounded, God's grace abounds all the more. I can't outsin it. And someone goes, oh, okay. Well, in order to magnify the grace of God, I really ought to live a life of sin. Paul says, no, that is not the point. Just because the grace abounds, it doesn't mean we shall continue in sin so that grace continues to abound. And then he points out the reality of the Christian. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So when we are baptized, we are dying as Christ died, we are buried as Christ were buried, and we are raised just as Jesus was raised. 
not to a former life, but to a new life. A life where we reject sin, a life where we embrace godliness. If you're in Romans, you can take a right. The very next book is 1 Corinthians. I want you to look at verses, chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. Verse 3 and 4. First Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died according to our sins, according to the, excuse me, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the good news. Not only did he sacrifice himself for us, but he lived for us the time he was on earth. And now he reigns in the heavens for us, making intercession between us and God. So when we have that faith, and when we make that confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when we are buried with Him in baptism, reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection, we become a new person. Now, I know you raise up and you look in the mirror, you go, oh, it's that same ugly mug that I had before. It's not a physical change. It's a spiritual change. It's, it, it occurs beyond what you and I can see. But by faith, we follow the Lord as best we can all the days of our lives, learning along the way, repenting all the time. That's probably the most difficult part of conversion is repentance, right? I can confess the Lord all day long. I can be baptized all day long, but to continually have to say, Hunter, you were wrong. Change your course and ask for forgiveness. That's, that can be difficult. But the grace of our God is present you don't have to keep as they thought you had to the law because the message is not from men. The message is not from church leaders. The message was from Christ himself. That's his good news. And if you've never obeyed the gospel, we give you an opportunity to do so now. If you are a Christian who wants to repent of sin and you want to do so publicly, you may do so now as well. Just come to the front as we stand and as we sing.